mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling like a shadow of my former self. And I'm feeling a bit like a ghost and also altered and changed. And they are all phrases that I have definitely said in the 41 years that I've been on this planet through different breakups, through kind of sexual violence, you know, the death of family members, including my brother and my dad and like loads of my cousins and just onwards. And I've, I've been thinking a lot recently about how we can be so changed and hurt by each other and by each other's actions. And even like the most subtle thing could really be a huge blow to someone's self-confidence, self-esteem. And it's the kind of conversations I've been having with lots of artists and musician friends of mine here in Margate. But it's something that I think we all think about. And maybe we've been thinking about it more through the pandemic as well, because I think for some of us, like me included, like when you're living alone or when you're confronted with less people, you have to sort of face yourself. And today's guest's work I've been familiar with for actually a really long time because I first met her through an art advisor called Lauren maybe like 14 years ago or something, like a long time ago. And I remember seeing the work back then and it really touched me because our artist guest was making kind of embroidered work on personal clothing. So kind of like bras or like panties or knickers or whatever the word is, because I know we're speaking to someone who's in America right now. <laughs> but they are, but, but, but they, they are English though. So um, I'm sure they understand our, our words too. And I remember being really moved by it. And over that period of time, her work has grown and developed so much and for me it kind of makes even more sense now like looking back at the breadth of work because she's worked across different mediums and you know almost like different series as well very specific series and when you see them all now as a greater whole like it's so powerful and at the moment the reason we have invited her to talk on the show with us is because she's just made a brand new film and it blew you away to the point where you called me up and you were like I've just seen the most amazing film you have to watch it and then I'd weirdly seen our guest in London last October and had the most amazing evening and I was already thinking about inviting her on talk out so it was one of these weird like 
moments. And the film is just devastatingly powerful and everybody has to see this film. It's a great work of art and um, it crosses so many different topics, but also kind of mediums, I think, like in the sense of like acting versus art versus like reality, you know, documentary. It's really full on. Spoken word. Spoken word, like poetry, exactly. So anyway, we would like to welcome to Talk Art all the way from Brooklyn, New York, Zoe Buckman. Thank you so, so much for having me. What a beautiful intro. And um, yeah, just thank you for what you guys do, both separately and together to amplify our voices and, and have these conversations. I've been following you both for years. As, as you said, Robert, we've known each other um, for a long fucking time. Um, but I'm just, I'm just really glad to, to be sitting down and having a chat with you. So thank you. Us too. Yeah. So whereabouts are you right now? It looks like you're in your studio. Oh my God. I'm in Dumbo, Brooklyn, which is also known as the deadest, <laughs> most like dry part of Brooklyn ever. Hence why I am leaving. Oh um, really? Yeah. yeah, I am so boarding a midnight train to Bed-Stuy. Are um, you? Yes, cool. babes. I was about to say yes bitch but um, <laughs> I don't know all the feminists are gonna get so mad but no I say bitch in the most endearing endearing way of course I actually um, saw a fan of yours on Google say that you're a badass feminist and I was yeah. like we are here for that yeah man we are talk so up, here for that loves that Dumbo I love Dumbo I always find Dumbo quite triggering as a word because that was un- my nickname as a kid with my ears <gasps> sticking out so every time someone says Dumbo I instantly go back regress like, to being about six or seven oh bless you, you know, I've kind of clench a little bit exactly tiny, tiny amount but there's a Soho house in Dumbo you must obviously there pop is in there. it's lovely and they have my work which is oh they do Super sweet. They do, yeah. Thank you, Kate Bryan. Thank you, Kate Bryan. Yeah, actually, that's connection. who I saw you with, wasn't yes. it? I saw you with Kate Bryan, who was a guest at that time on our podcast. Yes. Yes. I think we just recorded her podcast. So that's really funny. Yeah, I forgot you, yeah. Yeah, Kate. Yeah. So Kate in- Bryan is just ugh, amazing. But yeah, I am I am in Brooklyn and I live... It, so we're in my living room right now because it's where I make my work. I have um, a intimate art practice in that... I don't like to call it small because I don't want to sort of dumb down my own work, but it it's just me, guys. It's, it's me in my living room making this stuff. Um, and it's kind of awesome. I love that. And so, you know, when lockdown first hit and some of my friends with these big studios and they had to furlough their staff and suddenly their foundry in um Asia was closed down and I was like you know well I've just been making my work this whole time so I know how to just keep going with that so I was uh, kind of unaffected by that big change um but all that to say because I'm sure there's I know there's lots of artists who listen to your work and and uh, listen to this podcast sorry but living with one's work where there's no separation is a blessing and a curse and it's you know I can I can roll out of bed jet lagged and just get to work in my PJs. But then at the same time, I, there's no separation and I can't turn it off at night. And, you know, we're all obviously, um, you know, a little anal retentive about what we create, but I also create, um, from a place of trauma and, and things that I've have found difficult. Um, and so I don't want and should not live with it when I'm having my breakfast cereal. Um, 
So that's part of why I'm moving to Bed-Stuy because I'm, I'm moving into a space where I can have the studio on the ground floor and I can live above it. And also, yeah, Dumbo's dead, man. <laughs> well, this thing you're saying <laughs> you about, heard it about, this about <laughs> a blessing and a curse just makes me feel like that kind of is the fundamentals of your practice is that you work within oppositions. So you have like grief and joy, violence and softness, yes. partying and praying, the masculine yes. and the feminine. So this kind of being within this blessing and a curse situation, I would say would be inspiring for you. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is, so, thank you for seeing that because I feel like pr probably the biggest thread, pun intended, throughout everything that I've made has been this intersection of two polarized states, masculine and feminine, um, violence and joy and, and, and all of those things. Um, I think from a mental health perspective, it's time that I don't live in that liminal space in between polarized states all the time yeah. um like oh what would it be like if my home was just peaceful or just fun you know let's put let's have the trauma in a room we can shut the door <laughs> I'm into that yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you do you find that you transfer the trauma somehow like out of you it's almost like purging it into the objects because I feel like the way you make a lot of your work I mean, even the film, weirdly, because the film is so detailed on so many levels, which yeah. we'll talk about later. But if you think about really basic ideas of how I first discovered your work, I guess, but the embroidery, like there's something so kind of tactile, full on and yeah. detailed about that approach. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's, it's that process, you know, your pierce, well, a couple of things. One is that when you're sewing something, and I, I use a lot of embroidery, not exclusively, as you guys know, but... I guess it is the thing that I am doing most is sewing and has been for some years now. And so you get this um, perhaps um, fragile piece of textile and I'm then piercing it, I don't know, a hundred thousand times with a needle. And in that, it, I am releasing something, some, some, some pain, some energy there in the same way that I think I was attracted to boxing. Um, and I, I, I didn't expect when I first started boxing for it to have such a big and formative um, effect on me. But it actually kind of leads into the other point about close work like embroidery, which for me is about control. And um, I think, and sorry if this is all just a bit broad, but I think that I'm realizing that growing up in Hackney in the 80s and 90s when there was a lot of violence from you know being broken into and robbed six seven times to being mugged at knife points experiences of course with boys in state schools and even violence within my own home because I had three grew up with uh, three four men in my home um so what was I trying to say oh yeah lots of like big personalities, lots of like masculinity, lots of toxic masculinity. And that has, it, it meant that I, I didn't feel growing up in that environment that I had a voice or a place that I had anything to say. In fact, you kind of wanted to disappear, which I became good at. And then years later, I start developing my art practice. And I find that the mediums that most feel intuitively right for me are ones in which I can control everything that happens where I'm not outsourcing my work to somebody else, where if a mistake happens, I see it, whoops, cut it, start again, unpick, let's go. Um, and I think that that sense of control has been very um, important to me as someone who has experienced quite a lot of violence. Um, 
And then, where was I going with this? Boxing. So then when I started boxing, it was that strange kind of push and pull in that I walked into the boxing gym and it was this underground um, Puerto Rican spot, downtown um, New York. And just the smell of it, I was like, oh, I'm actually kind of attracted to this space. I was like, I smell the testosterone. This is nasty, <laughs> nasty, nasty. And like, I said, it was almost nostalgic. I was like, yeah, okay, killer, let's go. Like, I was like, started to get big and, and walk in there. They were like, who's this girl in a dress? Like, what's happening here? Um, but it became this space where I could both reconnect to a lot of what I miss um, about London, about Hackney, about my upbringing, because it wasn't all bad. Um, and I could reconnect with the energy of my brothers. And I could also work through experiences that I'd had where I'd had my power taken away from me. And in the art world as a woman, when I had just started to be asked to speak about my work, I was incredibly shy. And so boxing and learning how to protect my body and to hold my space and to take space away from somebody else it just really opened things up for me and of course led sort of bled into my work you know it's really funny I just started boxing in the last month um and I'm doing it because I need to get fit again after COVID and all that stuff and I was so shocked by boxing because it's not what I expected I thought it was going to be like really kind of like getting all your angst out and all this kind of stuff but what I've realized is it's all about focus and it's all about kind of like almost like a calmness within yourself and yes it's exhausting mainly in your legs weirdly but like I is there something about the focus of it that, that, that it's kind of helped you? Absolutely. And I think that was like one of the first things that they said to me. I, I was training with the um, owner of the gym, Gennaro Diaz. And um, he, we, would, we would have so much banter. I loved to, I would call him hooker and bitch and shit just to like <laughs> fuck with him. He, he loved it. Um, I'd be like, come on in, hooker, let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, okay, we know you're scrappy. You're scrappy but you've got to stay calm. He's like, I don't, need to, I don't need to teach you how to be scrappy. I need to teach you how to like take that energy and how to sort of expend it over time because you're going to gas out in the first mm. round. And actually, yeah, like you said, boxing is about kind of pulling back and, you know, evading and tricking and stuff. And you have to be so focused for that. And fair. ducking. <laughs> and ducking. Listen, oh! be careful. Be careful of your um, of your lumbar spine, babes. God, yeah. I've been. Yeah. Uh, I always find boxing was like a dance choreography yeah. when you do it. Yeah. It's all about you know hit hit duck turn look. Duh. Yes. When when you're treating it in like a, a workout way, it yes. is choreography. You take it to RuPaul, Russ. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> flick, flick, down, down, <laughs> slut drop, and uppercut. <laughs> exactly. So boxing, right? So boxing. There's a lot. So we've covered a lot already. Why, what you're talking? No, it's great. But let, let's, let's go back. So the materiality <laughs> you talked about, and you talked about boxing. So the bo when people look at your work now, they're going to see boxing gloves. They're going to see lots of boxing paraphernalia. But the materiality of what the boxing paraphernalia is surrounded with is what you were talking about, this very uh, parenthesis woman's domestic materiality. Mm -hmm. So there yeah. is, again, this uh, opposition where you have something that is very masculine, like you know, uh, stereotype of boxing. And then you have this very feminine energy that mm. is, that is encompassing it, that is, that is cuddling it and hugging it mm. and keeping it in. So the boxing came to you in 2016 and that has a correlation with Donald Trump. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, actually. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so 
So wait, is there more to that question? No, no, I was going to say, I was going right. to say, go, I want to know how the boxing Buckling came into your life. Waffle. No, no. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> real talk, um, it it was the war on women and the fact that, that we were gearing up yet again for another general election, and that's when all these old white dudes, um, straight cis, get together and start um, publicly saying things about rape and abortion and about abortion that is the result of rape and it's like whoa um so there was that going on but at the same time I was also getting divorced and so my whole personal life was shifting and 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 I was engaged and I'm sure um, my ex-husband would would agree we were both at war with each other and and at war with ourselves and sort of you know what we knew to be of um, of our lives. Everything was was in flux, and so I just felt like I was fighting, and I and I'm fighting with my work about the status quo. And then I turn on my TV and I read the news, and I'm fighting. And then I'm going home and I'm fucking fighting. And it was just I I needed boxing to to come in and teach me how to slow down. Breathe, sense yourself, own your space, but also like be graceful, you know. Mm. Um, I think the boxing really helped with my divorce, actually. Um, but yes, that it was during that time that I first started to want to bring the iconography in the boxing uh, gym into my studio, um, and I've always um, used vintage or antique textiles, and that's super important to me. I think. What, like a it's just I'm personally drawn to things that have had a life before they got to me yeah. um I feel like there's stories there that I can sort of I don't know build upon so I started to collect at first it was used wedding dresses um and construct these sculptural clusters was this what would use wedding dresses as you was going through a divorce yes wow okay again yeah. that's an opposition yeah, <laughs> there, there's an NDA or as well. Or reflection. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a series called "Let Her Rave," and um, and again, so I'll, I'll, I want to talk more about like the the home and the dishcloths yeah. and the doilies and all of that. But this, but your but, work is, is so autobiographical. Then for everyone listening yes. and coming to oh, it, oh, big time! Everything we're big looking time. at comes from your your cherry picking, well, not cherry picking. You're you're choosing your life. And you're putting it into your, you know, multifaceted practice. Yeah, absolutely. And working with the wedding dresses was super depressing, particularly when you're in the throes of or have just gotten divorced. Um, but really, you know what I was Can looking at Can I go at back at on first? that then? Yes. Why did you do that then? Why do you think that you were going through the throes of divorce, but you chose the wedding dress as something which is very triggering? Why, yes. that, why, that, why you would bring that into your practice? Yeah, good question. Thank you, sir. I've I've always been super fascinated by the Madonna Hall complex. And I think when we're talking about these polarised ideas, that is one of the most, um, I guess, governing um, concepts to the female experience. At least it has been in, in, in my lived experiences of relationships with men. Um, so I wanted to use these wedding dresses because to me they represented chastity and purity and perfection. Like all brides want their wedding dresses and their weddings to be perfect. And 
And I, I was exploring the experience of what it was like to have been in relationships that I'm either sort of put on a pedestal and, and revered, but not kind of touched and not seen in my totality and my messiness and, and, and my flaws and the, the darkness, the wilderness within, or um, relationships in which it's the opposite, where um, I'm not respected um, in, in any way or kept safe. Um, and of, of course we all know, like, I guess for me with my artwork and this, this leads back to the film, of course, is that we all know that rape is bad and we all know that violence is bad. Um, and I'm not trying to say that with my work. I'm trying to invite these sort of nuanced conversations. Like what is that space in between a Madonna and a whore and, and how, entrenched is it in our ideas of of women you know like let's let's really dissect and unpack unpack that and this isn't just looking at ideas that men put on women it's also ideas that women put on each other and continue to to do so because I think the patriarchy is so entrenched and ingrained from so young um so that was the wedding dresses that idea because I've been talking a lot with um, Self-Esteem, who's a musician, Rebecca Lucy Taylor and Lindsay Mendick. And they both in, in their work, the thing that I really connected, which I think is similar to yourself, is that instead of just like blaming someone else, they also like reflect on themselves and their own behavior and the way that they did things and how that might have, you know, been yeah. part of a bigger situation. Not saying that it validates any um, violence or anything like that, of course not. But but what, what I find yeah. in the nuancedness you know talking about how we do or treat each other because it is like two-sided in at times you know and and relationships are about two people coming Absolutely. together and I, I find that really interesting in, in your work as well like kind of reflections on your own behavior your own self or something like it's it, it, it's really touching yeah thank you I, I think that's why it was super important to me in the film one of the last lines is and, and as you guys know it's an exploration um in large part of um, intimate violence, violence within a relationship. But it was super important to me that I included this line that says, and even after all, she pleaded him to stay. Yeah. Because that's my true lived experience. And I, I, that was important to me, you know. I also think yeah. it's that complex thing of like blame as well. Like if you experience sexual violence, how you still blame yourself for it, mm -hmm. even though it isn't your fault, you know, and categorically, I, you know, it's not your fault. But like, I think that's such a dark kind of and such a regular thing. Like so many people yeah. experience that. And also like loss of memory and all these kind of things and the way you can mix things up. It's so confusing. And um yeah, and I, 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 I don't know, I just think it's great that you're able to find this space within the art to kind of bring up more of a nuanced discussion. It's not, it's not one way or the other. It's just very, very, very complicated. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, we talked about that with the film. I said to you, this is this film, and, and pe people aren't going to be able to watch this film yet, and we're talking about this, so it'd probably be quite frustrating, but there needs to be an area of discussion around the film when people do see it but also around your work and you know and what we're talking about now is intense stuff this is stuff that we need to discuss and this is what your work brings up and, and I think this discussion around your work do you feel this do you feel a responsibility for your work for other people the way that they are receiving it yeah absolutely and I think I'm I'm proud of my um 
my Britishness and my Londonness in that respect, because I think what you've seen, Russell, in like plays that you've done in the UK and shows that I'm sorry, just for a second, <laughs> just a fan girl moment, but oh my god, years and years, what? Like I I I watched it alone and mm, I don't even want to if people haven't seen it, I don't want to ruin but you and your storyline made me unwell, bro. Oh. Made me unwell. I couldn't unsee it. I couldn't oh. stop thinking about it. But Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure at the end of that episode, there would have been some kind of statement, isn't it? About like, here's a resource if you've been affected. And that's a very commonly UK thing. They don't really do that out here, like at all. Um, And they certainly do not do it in art spaces. Um, And I really want to be aware when I do show this film and... um, whether that's institutionally or um, it's screened in a festival or whatnot, I want to consider, and and even if I have to consult with the right people about this, what's the environment? Because guess what? It shouldn't be a pitch black room. It should be a dark room so you can see the film, but but you should be able to know how you leave and you should be able to be aware of your body in relationship to other people's bodies because I'm not trying to re-traumatise or trigger people. You know, is it warm? Yes, it should be warm. Um, what resources are available to people afterwards? And I, I think that, um, you know, and then, of course, like um, discussions and, and, and all of that stuff. But I really do feel a responsibility, honestly. And it's, it's not and I'm 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 proud to feel a responsibility for the viewers, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. It's almost like that that term trigger warning, which you see so much now. And I do really appreciate it in the sense of social media or something. It's quite a new phenomenon in the last year or so. But um, I think that's developing more and more because it's like it makes you aware that if you have had an experience and, you know, you might be traumatized or re-traumatized from watching it. At least you go in a bit prepared for it. And then also you Mm -hmm. can probably feel more like you can leave if you need to. You're kind of more aware that you might need to leave. It makes yeah. you think of when we saw Tracy's Tracy's exhibition. They they didn't have a disclaimer. She had a, f- a film about having an abortion, and there was no disclaimer before you walked in. And then within like a few days, they had to put a big disclaimer on the door to let people know because I think people stumbled in mm. and was like, "Whoa, we was not expecting this." There yeah, was, people were crying. There was, you know, and I'm sure they will be to your film. Yeah. And the thing about your film, so yes. can we explain what this film is? This film is a portrait of of three women, and they could be one person. It could be like. Um, but I think the message in it so much is that these three women are completely different. They come from completely different backgrounds and yet they are, you know, sharing in a similar experience and that there are commonalities between all of us. That was the kind of thing that I took from it, that, that even if you feel like you're totally alone, there are other people experiencing literally in the same moment what's happening to you mm. and you can get help, you can reach out, you, you can find others to, to sort of be there for you, I think. But um, can you speak a bit about how the, the film and these three women? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it, it started because in 2018, I was asked by the New York Times to write a 300-word essay on, on my experience of 2018. They were reaching out to me, obviously, because that was the the beginning of the the Me Too movement. So they're probably like, shit, we last minute need a woman making work about women shit. So they reached out to me and they said it could be as abstract as you like. So I was like, oh, 
if you tell an artist that they can write something as abstract as they like, I was like, let me crack my knuckles. And so I started to think about things that I had said and men had said to me, um, or I'd said in response to to situations with men and I I wrote this poem short poem and it started off with the words um I told him I could get blood out of anything women have been getting blood out of fabric since time immemorial that was that was how it started out it, it later changed a bit um and at the time I was that was taken almost verbatim from the relationship that I was in at the time. Um, and I wove together this short piece of writing and it had some things from my mother's writing about her experience of coming on her period for the first time. And it had some things um, that my then female boxing coach was describing a bruise. And I, I wove together this thing. I sent it to the New York Times and they said, absolutely not. No one will understand this. This is way too abstract. So I was like, okay, y'all are so boring, but that's fine. So I wrote something really, really basic and I gave it to them and they said, thank you, this will do. And then I had this, the beginning of a piece of text, which has later grown to, to be um, Show Me Your Bruises Then, which was this ongoing piece of writing. And when the relationship that I was in at that time ended, I realized that it was time for me to to really address um the totality of what had gone on in that relationship. And so this piece of writing, which I'd already been making these embroidered works mm. from what was three pages became seven pages. Um, and after some time I took a look at it and I was like, you know what? I think that this could live in some kind of performance. I've, I've, I've had little snippets live in different ways and, and now I'd like to see the, the whole of it performed. And I was like, well, I, I know some actresses, luckily, because my mum was the head of acting at RADA like, before she passed. Um, so, yeah, that's how, I, that's how I'm stuck with you lot, man. Um, <laughs> I cannot get away from you people. Please, God, God liberate me yeah. from the actors. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> Did you not want to be an actor then, if that was your Hell kind no. Of no, really remember like small, small, small. Um, control, control. I'm not trying to have someone tell me what to say, babes. No. Ever again um but so anyway I know Kush Jumbo and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of spectacular talent love Incredible. her and Incredible. I sent it first to her and I did that thing of being like I didn't want to put a brethren on the spot so I was like uh Kush um I've made this poem and I think I want to make a little like film of it and like do you know any actresses that who might be interested she read it goes yeah come on then mate me so then I was like, oh, wow, sick. Oh, my God, thanks. And then I took it to Sienna Miller. And I was like, because she's doing this thing, do you know of any actresses? She said, yes, me. And then I took it to a third actress who was living in Chicago. And she said, yes. So then I had it all ready and we were cast and we were good to go. And then like this thing called COVID happened. You guys Never remember that? Why? Well, yeah, I know. That was a little blip in history. And so it ground to a halt. And the actress in Chicago was like, I ain't getting on a plane ever again. You're on your own. Um, so then I went back to Sienna and I was like, genuinely, please, can you help me cut? I need a third woman. It was super important to me that it was three voices as if we're all sat at a table and, and you don't know past, present, future or, or literal or what. And she said, no, I can't help you because it's you. You're the third woman. Oh, wow. I shut up. She was like, so we've, we've all heard you do your little impressions and bits at dinner um and this is your story and you're the authentic link between 
me and Kush. And listen, she sold it to me good. And she was like, also, there's a long history, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a long history of female artists putting themselves in their work as they're not. I was like, ah, yeah. And I, I realized that I was being given an opportunity to go so, so far out of my comfort zone. You know, I'd never like formally written anything. I'd never directed anything. I'd certainly never acted in anything. And suddenly I was going to do all three and I was shit scared. And I, I think that's, you know, what I'm, what I'm here for is to challenge myself. It's, I mean, the reason I the film works so well is because you're so possessed in those words. Mm. Like you mean every single syllable. And it is your performance actually for me that really don't I think if you hadn't been in it it wouldn't have been the same film because because you wrote the words do you know what I mean and you you feel it you, and you I watch love it the contrast you watch it on a different vibration knowing that you are you can't the words came from you but this also feels like a culmination of everything because text is important to you and you know you talked mm. about your mother at RADA and she was a playwright yeah. verse word that is so important language and a lot of your applique pieces have your text going through it, one lines poems but these watching the film and seeing the um works of art the, the lines appear in the film so yeah. it feels like a lot of your works before are now in this movie and it's like everything mm. has been building up to this seminal i would say piece of work in your practice and it's all been there throughout and it's like there's a work that says for this you need thick bleach and euphemisms yeah and that's a that's an applique work yeah yeah and i've been embroidering that for some years and that line just like that's one of the first lines that kind of hit you between the eyes you're like oh my mm. god it's oh, incredible wow. it's incredible it's really Thanks. so impressive I know and we're like getting really excited I'm about cry. this. But can I say one thing about this film? The no. the other thing is the other two no. performers <laughs> in it are obviously really well known a- a- actors. Like um, Kush. Kush has just got what, what did she just win? Oh, she was Hamlet. Um, yeah, she won. Oh no, she was, she was Hamlet. She's up. Yeah. She's up for the Olivier. Olivier. And she, That's right, the Olivier. She has a um, the thing that the Queen gives you. What is it? B, uh, I was going to say a BFA. That's not right. MB, an MB. MB. Has she got, got an MBA? Yeah, oh, baby. Wow. Yeah, Do you have one yet, Russell? Not yet. <laughs> He'll get Come one. Come on, man. Oh. If the Queen is listening, it's time. It's been time. It is the time. The Queen needs to I, I knew, I knew she was. Yeah. I knew she was very lauded anyway as an actress, and she's amazing. And then oh. Sienna is super well-known, and, you know, people have seen her on stage, in films. Like, when she was in Factory Girl, it changed my life. She <laughs> is extraordinary, um, like, totally extraordinary. Yeah. And I've always found her to be very... Watchable. Very watchable, but also oh. quite otherworldly. Yes. Like she's almost, and, and that otherworldliness comes across so much in your film. Like it's I, timeless. I it's a timeless energy. Oh my God. It could be the 60s. It could be yes. like the 80s. It's, it's now. You're, you're regressing. She's extraordinary. You it's... could be, you're a mother, you're a grandmother, you're all the characters. It's like, well, who are you? You're a daughter. It plays yeah, with yeah. the kind of hierarchy within, as you're saying, like the Madonna, the whore, the crone, yeah. the maiden. All of these elements yeah. are in this performance. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com she, she really brings this vulnerability and this fragility. There's almost like... Things that I didn't I didn't have to direct these women at all. I was like, here's the writing, go, let's yeah, thank you, and cut. Um but Sienna, like the stuff that she does with her, even with like her hands and how she makes her body yes. small, it was I, I I think the performance, like like you said, is so amazing. And then push the power and the gravitas that she mm. brings to her performance, the enjoyment she takes over the words. I mean, it's just, yeah, like gutting. It's like you wish when you look back at, at moments, it's like, I wish I had been Kush, but I was Sienna. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you know, in, in that moment where you're like, this is how I wish it, like when you play it back in your mind, you're like, this is how I wish it had been. This is how I remember it. And somewhere in there is reality. I know. And that's the thing. It's not artifice. And that's what I'm trying to say. It's like, it's not really acting at all because both yeah. of them give these really true performances. They kind of like reach really deep inside and present you a version of their own truth, which is just so impactful. And I think that's yeah. made me realize that when you see performances like Russell recently was on the West End with um, Amari Douglas and the two of them were in constellations together oh. and both of their performances, they just like had these moments where they would draw into themselves yeah. as humans, not not as the character they're playing, but it's like, and they, they are obviously the character they're playing, but they, they draw within this kind of depth of their own experience to then reveal the character. But mm. because it's so real, it's just, you have these moments that a pin could drop literally and you're, you want to cry or something. Yeah. And that's what I felt in this film. And it's really rare to see something that kind of, I don't know, that it sort of be, grabs you your very, heart. very proud and excited. That Honestly, people, people have to see this film. I feel like we should work out a way of like, I don't know, screening it or something. I would love to. Yeah, what is your plan for it then? What are you what are you gonna do? I don't know. I don't know. So I only just finished it. The the final colour grade happened like two weeks ago. Um, and then I sent it to you guys. Um, so I there's there's, you know, there's two different routes, right? Because it, it, there's the film festival thing and then there's the um do I show it in institutions? I, I feel very strongly that it needs to not be a gallery or a commercial space in that way. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm trying to navigate and I, and I look forward to, you know, any insights or ideas about that at a later date from you guys. Cause, um, I, I really want to show it in London in some way. I mean, it's three mm. British women, you know, um, mm. yeah. Do you miss, do you miss Hackney? So much, so much. I mean, my favorite people in the world live in London. I do miss Hackney. Hackney has obviously changed. It's almost unrecognizable. There's there's still little bits where it feels nostalgic, but um, I do miss London. Yeah, I love it. But you don't come back because your daughter's in the states, right? Yes, she's she's in school here, so I don't come back as often as I would like. But I do come back and forth as much as possible. How did you find art being from Hackney? I mean, I guess you had you were from a cultured parentage. How yes. how did art art seem like the route for you? Yeah, so I, you know, I didn't, like like I said, I was I went to 
quite shit state schools, um, but I was around a lot of creative characters at home. Um, so I, I feel like the home was really a place where um, expression was was fostered and also ideas about feminism. Like, for example, my name, Zoe Buckman. I have my mother's surname um, because, yeah, my parents, my, my dad was like, absolutely, you should have your mother's name. She's extraordinary. I was like, shut oh. up, dad. Shut up, man. <laughs> Don't talk about my mum like that. Um, but yeah, so it was it was a feminist household, give or take. Um, and yeah, how did I find Oh, It's a good question. I mean, I, I always wanted to create and I always was creating. And then I, I came to that crossroad where it's like, okay, do I go to university um, to get some, uh, you know, a formal degree to fall back on, or do I go to art school? And I decided that I would go to Manchester University and get a degree in English literature with theatre and film. However, God, I and I did go for one year, but I also fell in love with an Aussie bartender and he decided to move from Australia to Manchester to live with me and so I was waitressing and I had this you know older boyfriend who was it's like I'd taken him from the beach to the no offense to Manchester but you know he was not happy and I was working my ass off so that I could pay rent and I felt responsible for this being who I was promptly really kind of going off um so all that to say I dropped out of Manchester after a year and was like fuck it I I just want to keep creating um and I ended up going to school here in New York actually you studied photography I did yeah 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 that was your first route into it yeah Mm-hmm. lens-based artwork, so um, photography and, and film. But I'm only just now returning to, to lens-based with Show Me Your Bruises then. But you can really see your history in it because in this film, one of the reasons it's so powerful, I think, is the composition of it set-wise. Mm. And if you think of like the marks on the table, the actual kitchen table that's a recurring motif throughout, but also the light. I mean, mm. the light is extraordinary. I know I sound really like... Um, going really over the top here but honestly I've watched it about four times in a row this film because I love it that much but like the light just the way it's like dappled light or something there's something about the softness of that which combined with the percussive kind of full-on intensity and sadness and trauma within the words really allows you to somehow access it like I've had my own trauma and I find it hard listening to those words even though my experience as a gay man obviously is not the experience you're you're directly talking about in this but there's definitely a parallel to the gay community and like violence in in relationships that can happen that not many people really talk about much and I I found it quite hard at first and then I I kept focusing on that light Mm -hmm. and then that allowed me to watch all like 17 minutes over and then I just got so into it because I wanted to explore it but the more I was watching it even on like that the, the, there's a recurring motif as well as tea of tea and yeah. kind of leaking tea and yeah. and the, the mugs you chose just like everything it's so well done thank you mate so that kitchen table that was my mum's kitchen table we shot it um yeah in 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 my parents living room I painted the walls that sort of dark gray and we lit it and and we um shot it there and that's actually the room that my mum died in. And so when I was sat there in that room, 
about to say her words about this experience, about her experiences. She was a survivor, about bleeding and bruising and the relationship, you know, she she left this world thinking I was okay and I wanted her to feel that I was okay and I wasn't. Um, and she was very, very worried about my choice <laughs> at the time, that relationship that I was in. She, you know, she knew all was not as it seemed but sat there and when it was like when we were rolling I think what you guys are talking about in terms of my performance because I'm a shit actress don't get me wrong like I remember doing I remember baby I remember doing theatre in school and being like what what am I what am I supposed to do with my hand like I became so concerned with what's my hand why everyone's looking at my hand it was awful um most self-conscious ever but sat in that spot there I just, yeah, I accessed, like, it was all real. Everything I was saying was was coming from a um, really integrated um, place. But what were we talking about? Light. Sorry. Oh, tan- tangentially. But when you were talking about the, the cups, so I actually started working for the first time with ceramics for a show that I did in 2019. And this was after my mum had died. And for me... Mum is tea, tea is mum, tea is home and obviously nurturing and all all of that good stuff that we all, that's what we love about a cup of tea. Um, And I wanted to to make work again that was close, that was with my hands. Um, But I wanted to speak to this experience of having pieces missing Um, when you, and I I know you um, have experienced this, Rob, I'm sure you have too, Russell, is that trauma or grief or or heartbreak it's not so much that we overcome it it's just that we learn to live with these gaps now um and we're still whole and when you look at us we might even look the same so I created these teacups but I cut out these shapes um so that of course they would never function as as teacups but um that's what loss does to us and I I think also the experience of watching my mum's body um warp and stop functioning I I was exploring that with these ceramic pieces as well so I wanted to bring those into the film at the kitchen table and so I I shot these very slow-mo moments of tea spilling out of these ceramic cups the the holes you're describing in the cups that you've kind of you know incised out in a way in the clay um they almost look like scars as well so there's that kind of sense of like scar tissue and i was talking recently with ronan mckenzie who's a previous guest on talk art she's a photographer curator and also fashion designer now she has her own fashion label and she's been making these clothes which i have to send you which are like all about um keloid scars and and um and they actually have the scars um embroidered in all the dresses so when you wear an outfit it's got all of the scars like tracing the body and she's trying to show that you can be proud of these scars and it's stuff we all try to hide or like treat with like creams and and it really made me think of that as well like I was going to send her the film because I think she'll really like the film but but there's this like there's something about scarring as well yeah yeah absolutely and and this idea of of staining that was something that I was speaking to my mum about a lot because she reminded me of this old religious adage that um man is a piece of gold and woman is a piece of silk and if you drop gold in the mud it's no problem you just dust it off but if you drop silk in the dirt it's ruined forever and and that's also these this the shame and the stigma attached to trauma and it's like you know um 
we're dirty because of what has been done to us. And it's the patriarchy that tells us that we're dirty and it's the patriarchy that does the thing to us that makes us dirty. And like, what the fuck, man? Mm. Like, Jesus. Um, so the staining, having the tea, staining these um, tea towels was was always supposed to be about being unable to stop something inevitable happening and and having something then marked but also beautiful and and that's what you you were touching on both of you at the beginning is that um this work isn't oh, the home is bad or oh, being a woman sucks or or you know if if I was a queer man I wouldn't be saying being a queer man sucks it's like there are some very difficult unfair things about these experiences about being marginalized about being discriminated against about having our power taken away from us and that at the same time look at this joy that is birthed like look at what women do and create look at what queer people do and create like it's the the resilience is just it's it's infecting isn't it like people want to be around us hello yeah exactly but also that that idea of strength as well that i think it's quite a difficult thing especially if you think of like masculinity and this idea of like strength and how you have to be strong and then if someone gets cancer everyone's like oh they were a fighter you know she fought really hard and this whole thing about having to be strong all the time and i remember after certain traumas i've been through you sort of just the next day pick yourself up act act like it hasn't happened until you break and then you Mm. could probably go on for like two three years and then it's almost like some kind of armor that you put on and you go out there and you battle and you try and be strong but actually it's just that's quite a negative thing in in itself yeah you know it got me thinking just now about like um you know like the used objects like the found objects the existing um pieces that end up in your work Mm. is there something spiritual about that because there's this really weird like um I think I've mentioned it before, even on this podcast, but Paula Cole, the singer songwriter mm. who did, I just want to wait, whatever it was called. Uh, no, I, I don't want to wait on the um, Dawson's Creek soundtrack. She was like the, the song oh, on yeah. it. On her first, on her first, that's the one. Over. Oh God, actually let's, let's hear Russell do that. <laughs> no, no, carry on. Or will it okay. be sorry? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, something sorry. like that. Okay. So, so her first album, it wasn't as big, but there was a song called I am so ordinary on it. And for some reason it always comes to my mind. And when I was looking at some of your work earlier, it reminded me of a lyric that said, I know you need me like an old soft shoe. And it's about this boyfriend who is sort of secretly sleeping with her, but he's actually got like the perfect cheerleading girlfriend or something, you know, in like a college. And she, she's the kind of person that he, he leans on and goes back to sort of, cause he loves her, but she's like the old soft shoe. And it got, me thinking about like these materials and like even the gloves and how some people chuck them away mm-hmm. and they might be damaged or disgusting to them but to you they've got this like soul or like a spiritual soul, connection yeah. or something yeah absolutely there is I think um spirituality um is such a big part of my life personally and so I and I do you know what I think I'm just realizing something okay so I, I'm I'm a Jew um and that is definitely a big part of my identity. And I get that from my mum. But I am actually um, biologically Jewish on, on both sides. Mm-hmm. But we weren't religious or spiritual in, in, in any way, right? But I, I was supposed to know that I'm a Jew. And it was about jokes and generosity and slang and suffering um, and food. But I've had this deepening spiritual practice that um, actually is from a more Hindu tradition. Um, and it involves song and dance and chanting and repeating these mantras. And, and like you guys have, have said, like 
words are very important to me. I'm always talking to myself in my head or singing to myself in my head. And there's the words in my work. Um, but the way that I connect to the unbounded or an idea of the divine is through mantra and music. And it is a practice. It's the Hare Krishnas, basically. I love them. They're total weirdos, but they're amazing. <laughs> um, I love them. And there's a lot within that tradition about assigning meaning and value to inanimate objects. So you've got these deities in the temples and everyone's sat in front of them. And we're supposed to be kind of singing and everything that you do is is an offering to these deities. And when I first walked in the temple, I was like, okay, but these are dolls, right? Like, are we just all agreeing that, cool, yeah, like, dear Lord, engage me in your service in Sanskrit to dolls, yeah? Cool, that's what we're sweet. But the collective unconscious is a very powerful thing. And I think that it has it speaks to this part of me that does assign with a bit of imagination, meaning to things and stories to things um, that perhaps other people wouldn't see. Maybe I am insane. Um, or maybe it's a way for, for me to, to, you know, explore and celebrate and exalt and, and that practice of going, okay, you know what? just for the sake of tonight, for this chanting, for this kirtan, I'm going to pretend that I am singing to the divine in at this altar here. And I, I think that has probably been something that has impacted my artistic practice. But Very long-winded. Like freedom. You can edit all of that. No, no, no. It but sounds like freedom. You've said that, you've said that a theatre background has helped you to do this as well. Yes. So having a theatrical background but this is your alter ego and this is what rob was talking about at the beginning about this kind of shadow aspect of your mm -hmm. psyche and yes. this has allowed you to create an artistic alter ego called nomi yes and this is someone that you carry with you always yeah and has always been there but now you are able to access and um use yeah for your practice and for your life in general yeah Absolutely. Nomi, um, so I was in, I was doing some Jungian psych, um, psychology, some uh, Jungian anal analysis. And he asked me to imagine the shadow aspect of my psyche. And I got kind of a, a, a picture of who she was. Will you explain and, what that is as well, though, what the shadow aspect is? Yeah, absolutely. So at first, the way he encouraged me to form a relationship with her, he was like, okay, please remember a time where you felt like you're most vulnerable. I was like, oh God, here we go. Um, so I pictured myself and sort of like slumped in a doorway, almost um, distraught. And then he was like, now I want you to picture a side of yourself um, where you were your most powerful. And I, and I remembered moments um, like when I was... Um, robbed at screwdriver point in Hackney and I went away and someone else took over and it just, and I got out of the situation because I became the most gobby loud rowdy Zoe and and I don't even really remember the things that I said but the two rude boys apologized to me and walked away oh, well um done. I got mugged you, by, by a, a screwdriver as well in custom house once for a mobile phone this is a thing mine was for a mobile phone too yeah well, I know where I they live. I didn't. I I got mugged in Brixton, but not um not with a screwdriver. Screwdriver. What did you get I don't mugged think. with? But they did steal my um 
Peter Jensen bag. I think it was Peter Jensen or somebody. I wonder if there's a hierarchy, like, oh, those were not the good robbers, babe. Mm. You know, if they didn't have a screwdriver, that's not. They were were fashion. They were fashion (laughs) robbers. Oh my god! (laughs) Stole my Peter Jensen bag. What? Those are not real badmans. They're not real roadmans. Um, but anyway, you see, so you were regressing so, to that moment. Yes. Yes, exactly. So the, my most powerful, the most powerful aspect of my psyche. And so he asked me to give her a name and know me. I was just like, her name is Nomi, like you don't know me. He's like, okay, great. Where is she right now? I said, she's in a cage. And, um, and I won't waffle on about this, but he said, why, why is she in a cage? And I was like, because if I let her out, she's going to kill everyone. And he was like, right, okay, so that's great. So we, you, we need for you to form a better relationship with Nomi because we can't have her like, out killing everybody. But also she can't be in a cage, Zoe. You've put her in a cage, not somebody else. You have. I said, I, I, I know. And he was like, I need you to speak to her every day. Like she gave birth for you. She creates all your work for you. I bet you haven't thanked her, have you, Zoe? I said, no. And, you know, and I realized she's probably there in my orgasm and she's there in my laugh and my cackle and my scream and all of those things. And, and I don't really pay much mind to her. So he was encouraging me to, I guess, integrate with a, a part of myself that is, yes, all powerful, but also all creative and all loving and always free. And that, that I was the part that I really struggled with at first was that no matter what I experience or have experienced, the idea is that I can connect back to a side of me that is actually unchanged by all of these things. Um, And that's pretty cool as a tool. Well, I've got know me, you don't know me, but I want you to know me. Yeah, exactly. I want you to know me, exactly. I'm really happy we met because I find the way that you respond to like events in your life, you, you, you have this kind of like curiosity, this kind of, uh, a kind of searching to find the reason why, like, I don't know, there's some kind of like hope within all the investigations you're doing in your work. That's almost like a reason to survive. Because I think when you experience traumas, when you, of any kind, it doesn't even have to be something super, super intense, dramatic, violent. It could be the smallest thing even, because I think everybody has different ways that we respond to things and you Mm. can get hurt by different things. But I think the idea of finding resilient strength within, and I don't know, I just find that kind of um, inquisitive nature that you have to explore so exciting. There's a a positivity in it. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, it allows you... I think I've heard you saying it allows you a freedom in the present to go back and to retrace your trauma. And I guess art therapy, as well as your craft, is putting it out there, but it gives you a freedom to exist mm. now. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, and also, honestly, if shit things have to happen to us, we might as well let them be the things that we pay our bills with, like... Because I like shoes, guys. I like new shoes. And <laughs> so... <laughs> to find some sense of joy. So your, yeah. your work, you have, a, you have a daughter. Do you? Is your daughter asking lots of questions about your work? Yes. How, how are you approaching that? How old is she? Yeah, so she's about to be 11. Right. Um, and for sure, it is, to be honest with you, um, it is part of the reason why um, I'm excited about this move because my studio is not going to be so in her face as well as in my face. Um, there's definitely studio visits where if she's back from school and she's with me, 
I I found this really awkward, like I want to answer a question in the studio visit authentically, but there's things that she doesn't need to know now, you know, at this point. But for sure, it has um, sort of been a forum for some amazing conversations between me and my daughter. She'll she'll come over and she'll she'll read something and she'll be like, oh God, mom, what does that mean? And I'm like, okay, here we go. Um, I'm just going to talk to her about this now. Um, so I think for the most part, it's been it's been really good. But I am also aware of 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 wanting to protect her a little bit, you know. Mm. Got it. Yeah. No, amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. Um, you guys are you're amazing. amazing. You're amazing. Um, do you find it? I think you sound more like me than you do, Rob. Yeah. Do you find it being in the states that you constantly have to repeat yourself? Yes. So I don't say, I say water because I cannot be bothered anymore. So I'm like, excuse me, mate, can I have some water? Exactly. They're just, I would, I would end up just talking with American accent. Russell does. You say, I go to visit him in New York and he sat there talking in American and I'm like, why are you doing that? And he's like, to be understood. Does he call you Rob? Because I don't, I don't want to just repeat myself over, over again. Whereas I just get, your name's Robert? Robert? They, 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 they never say Rob. If you say Rob, they go, what? Rob. What are you called? So you have to be Rob. Robert. That's the re- one of the main reasons I became Robert, like <laughs> using my full name, was so that Americans would talk to me. But so, Russell, but just to say, yes. though, you know that your accent is currency out here, though, babe. I'm just saying. Um, I, oh, I mean, yeah, 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 listen. absolutely. To, to, to the industry, yeah. to, the, to the people who you're trying to just yeah, like, fair, fair, meal fair. from or a drink, they, are, they find me... Uh, <laughs> yeah, like you might, an alien. You it, might get like, work, but you're going to be dehydrated. Exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll starve to death, and I won't be able to drink anything. But I'll, I'll be working. Well, for me, <laughs> so if, if I'm feeling lonely, I just walk. I just find a packed street in New York, and I just walk around going avocado, avocado, <laughs> and I wait for someone to hit on me. I'm telling you, works every time. <laughs> There's a top tip for all of our listeners. If you're wondering how to uh, get dates, get dates in the states, I didn't know that. Good. Oh my god, I need to. Try well, Rob's going to be trying. Yeah, that baby, come out. out right come now. Out here. <laughs> it, it won't work in Margate, Rob. Oh, okay, I promise yeah. you. So we ask every guest uh, three questions now. Ooh. The same three questions at the end of every interview. And the first one is: if you could do an art heist, now you are friends with lots of our art heroes. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you do art trades ever, mm-hmm. but if you could do an art heist and have any work of art in the world for yourself, what would that be and why? Oh, it would be um, a Louise Bourgeois work um, and it would be a textile piece and probably one of those padded books with the text on it. I love oh. those. Yeah. Do There's you, a big you traded art with your friends? Who, who are your art crew uh, out there? Okay. Okay, so I have um, Toyin Oji Oditola, who I know you guys love, and she drew me for my 30th birthday and gave it to oh me. Oh, my God. I know, I know. You're so jealous. I know you're so jealous. Eat it, you guys. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know. It's so sweet. And then we also traded as well, so I have another piece. It's a, it's a drawing of her brother. Um, oh. I have a Wangechi Mutu. Um, yeah, she got in touch with me about... Um, one of the pieces of lingerie with, um, I think it's a, I think it has a two-pack lyric embroidered on it, and and I have a print of hers in exchange. Oh. Who else? Oh, Hank, Hank Willis Thomas. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and then me and um, Wardell. I don't know if you know this artist. He's amazing. His name is Wardell Milan. I bumped into him two nights ago, and we're going to do a trade. Fantastic. 
I love that. that. I love art trains. Can't believe Toy and Dream. That's so cool. I know. That's like an art dream. Toyin's one of the most extraordinary artists on the planet. Yeah. She's incredible. She works too hard, man. She needs to chill. Yeah, she's brilliant. So the other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? Oh. Oh, my God. What? You can't ask that. I just did. Okay, it's, it's jokes because actually no one's ever asked me that in my entire life. So I, this is the first thing that came to mind. Please forgive me. It's Heinz tomato soup red. Really? That's a pillar yeah. box red. Yeah. Is it yeah. post box? British well, no, post box red. No, because no, Heinz tomato sort of orangey. Yeah. Mm. Creamy. Not, not pillar red. box. Heinz Heinz soup brush is not a pillar box no, or a post box, enough, whatever the word is. I'm not having that. I but also, it, so it smells, doesn't it? It makes me think of the smell of tomatoes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is that something that you miss from the UK? Very much so, yeah. Can you get it there or not? No. You can, but it takes a really long time to arrive on Amazon and then it's dented. <laughs> it's just like, not the same. no point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Um, do you, and do you buy shoes in that colour? <laughs> no, but I think I deserve some. Hello. Some tomato soup shoes need to be part of your collection. <laughs> if, uh, what, what is the best advice that you have ever received when it comes to your art? Mm, okay. The best advice I've ever received when it comes to my art um, is from a teacher and activist and curator called Jasmine Wahi. Her handle is Brown Girl Curator, and she's amazing. And she said to me that I should cannibalize my artwork. First of all, I just, I, I love words that really fucking confuse you and stick in your memory. But the idea is that, you know, you can create something and whether it was a successful uh, work or not you can at any point um use it and and expand it and build upon it or break it down and deconstruct it and use it in your artwork um so the in the film that you guys have seen um there's an there's some audio that I use at the beginning and at the very end and that is from um I used it in my very first show here in New York and it I had secretly recorded um, my last family meal in our house before my parents sold it in Stokey. Um, so I think that's, you know, just one of the, the, my most recent examples where I, I, I took something, I used it, I showed it. And then 10 years later, I'm using it again in a different way. Yeah. That's yeah, a great, so great it's, idea. It's like sampling your own history of, of creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's there. You've yourself. already put the time and potentially money into it. Like go further with it. Mm. You know, love that. I love that. Yeah, that's yeah. really useful, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. practical, tangible shit, babes. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Well, I what mean, can I... we see your work next, <laughs> Zoe? Oh, thank you. Yes. Okay. So my next solo show is going to be at Pippi Howsworth Gallery in November, in London. And I in London, and I demand tea with you guys, or Heinz tomato soup, or dirty martinis <laughs> yes. in real life. Um, so that's my thank you and that's my next solo show and then and then there's a few um group shows here there's one at the parish art museum um a gallery upstate a two-person show with vanessa german um and yeah and then uh, an institution in tribeca as well 
Um, nice. But the solo show is is the one that I really hope everyone will come to. Amazing. Yeah. And um, you've, you've also got work at the moment until September 23 in Baltimore, no? At the Baltimore Museum of Art. I do. I do. Thanks for reminding me. I've got work at the Baltimore Museum of Art and right now at um, the Museum of Art and Design here in New York. Yeah, that show sounds amazing, called Garmenting, it's and it's costume as contemporary art. It's really interesting, yeah. Yeah, and there's some Nick Cave, some Louise Bourgeois, and some Samford Biggers, so it's good people. MAD, brilliant. It made me think as well about Gillian Waring a bit, because she's been at the Guggenheim, and it made me think, mm. interesting parallel. Um, mm. Well, all, for everyone listening, you can go to zoebuckman.com, as well as Pippi Holdsworth's website, um, Pippi Holdsworth Gallery, a brilliant gallery in central London. But Zoe's uh, own website has a huge archive of, of her, of her um, different artworks, including all her sculptures. And then we will be sure to update everybody where they can see the film when it finally, um, you know, happens. Because <laughs> um, it'll be really interesting for people to hear this and then see the film. But yeah, mm -mm. I hope everyone yeah. gets to see it. Thank you. And are you on Instagram? So, so grateful. I am. I am just Zoe Buckman at Zoe Butman, so you can follow her there. Well, thank you very much, Zoe. We have loved every minute of this episode. Yeah, it's been amazing. You're an Thanks, inspiration you to us. And um, I can't wait to give you a big hug when you come to London or if we come Eat. to New York. See you soon. Thanks for listening, Asia. everyone. Bye, everyone. Love we'll you, be bye. back very soon. Bye. 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 <laughs> You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com